0: Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show.
1: Well, good afternoon and welcome to the Tuesday edition of the Georgine Rice Show. Seven minutes after four o'clock is the time. Clark Hilton is engineering. Today's program, James Blend, is producing. Today we're looking forward to a conversation with Tony Evans. He's a pastor and, of course, a broadcaster here on KPDQ. His program is heard 10 a.m., Monday through Friday and at midnight here on KPDQ-FM. His latest book is Your Comeback. Your Past Doesn't Have to Determine Your Future. The book is published by Harvest House. He'll join us here uh, later this hour. We're also going to talk in the 5 o'clock hour with Hans von Spakovsky, an authority on a wide range of issues, including civil rights, civil justice, and the First Amendment, as well as immigration. Uh, he has provided, along with others, a list of um, some important questions that lawmakers should ask Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of Facebook as he is faced off with him uh, throughout most of today and again tomorrow in a joint session of two committees uh, in, uh, in Washington. So we're looking forward to talking with him about that and how some of these lawmakers did in the back and forth that has uh, dominated most of today. In fact, I heard some of the questions that, the, that he and others have suggested being posed to Mark Zuckerberg in that process. Well, um, as we learned yesterday uh, relatively late, uh, investigator Mueller has gone af- gone after rather president trump 's Attorney and yesterday, the FBI conducted a no-knock raid on the office and home and hotel room of President Donald Trump's longtime personal attorney, Michael Cohen. Apparently, he's having some work done at his home, so he's staying in a hotel, taking his phone, computer, personal financial records. The Washington Post reported that Cohen is under federal investigation for possible bank fraud, wire fraud, and campaign finance violations, and that this raid is directly tied to Special Counsel Robert Mueller's ongoing investigation. Well, upon learning of the rig, uh, raid, rather, a clearly frustrated President Trump responded by calling it a disgrace. He added, "I have this witch hunt constantly going on for over 12 months now, or longer. It's an attack on our country uh, in a true sense. It's an attack on what we all stand for." End quote. Well, Trump then reiterated that he's been repeatedly urged to fire Mueller and end the investigation. Well, Cohen's lawyer. The lawyer has a lawyer. Stephen Ryan called the FBI's raid tactics inappropriate and unnecessary, pointing out that Cohen has cooperated completely with all government entities, including providing thousands of non-privileged documents to the Congress and sitting for depositions under oath. Well, Cohen has long been a... Uh, subject or target of the Mueller investigation because of his close working relationship with uh, Trump over the years. When the story broke about Trump's alleged 2006 affair with an adult film actress and a subsequent large payment of hush money, Cohen defended Trump, claiming that he had no knowledge of the payment which Cohen had paid out on uh, out of his own pocket and that he was not reimbursed by Trump. And last week, Trump backed up that claim, saying he had no knowledge of a payment to Daniels. Cohen further explained the payments to um, Stephanie Clifford, a.k.a. Daniels, was lawful and was not a campaign contribution or a campaign expenditure by anyone. Alan Dershowitz, a liberal Harvard professor, a law professor, reacted to the news saying, this is a very dangerous day today for lawyer-client relations. He explained, I tell clients on my word of honor that what you tell me is uh, sacrosanct, and now they say, just based on probable cause, they can burst into the office, grab all the computers, and then give it... Uh, To another FBI agent and say, you're um, you're the firewall. We want you now to read all these confidential communications. Tell us which ones we can get and which ones we can't. Dershowitz uh, astutely noted if this were Hillary Clinton being investigated and they went into her lawyer's office, the ACLU would be on every television station in America jumping up and down. The deafening silence from the ACLU and civil libertarians about the intrusion into the lawyer-client confidentiality is really appalling, end quote. There is, of course, a big exception to attorney-client privilege when it comes to crime, but this instance is murky. Well, Once again, it appears that Mueller is hard at work seeking a serious charge against Trump that falls well outside his original uh, charge. And with this latest move, it looks as if he's uh, aiming at hanging a campaign finance violation on Trump so much for the Russian collusion gambit. But as we um, have, uh, have warned, these special investigations are, are given such broad authority and power to investigate. They rarely actually bring charges based on their initial impetus. And we've seen that time and again. And yet they rarely come up empty handed. They sort of have to justify their existence. Trump's low moral character only makes this um, much more likely. So the, um, uh, the investigation will go on whether or not it was merited. Meanwhile, Brooke Singman points out that federal prosecutors in New York are asking the Trump organization to turn over documents related to the $130,000 payment made by his uh, attorney uh, to the film star, the adult film star, a revelation that comes a day after the federal agents raided Cohen's home and office. Many wondered, what are they looking for? Well, the Wall Street Journal reported uh, today that prosecutors from the U.S. Attorney's Office in Southern District of New York requested records of the payments made to Daniels in the weeks leading up. To the 2016 presidential election. The $130,000 payment was in exchange for Daniels, whose real name is Stephanie Clifford, signing a non disclosure agreement regarding her one time alleged encounter with Donald Trump in 2006, according to Daniels herself. Well, federal agents also sought records on an ex playboy model who received $150,000 from the parent company of the National Enquirer, the journal reported. Uh, That individual also claims she had a a relationship with Trump while he was married to his wife, Melania. Well, the warrant uh, relating to um, Cohen also reportedly seeks information about his associates uh, in the taxi industry. Cohen has been a longtime owner of taxi medallions in addition to working as a top lawyer at the Trump organization, the paper said. We do not generally comment on such matters, but have and will continue to comply with inquiries from proper authorities, a spokesman for the Trump organization said statement on Tuesday. Cohen's attorney uh, did not immediately respond uh, for further comment and a spokesperson for the U.S. Attorney's Office in Southern District of New York declined also to elaborate any further. Well, the news that the FBI raided the offices of the president's personal attorney caused many people to wonder how such a raid could be justified given the protections afforded under attorney client privilege. Well, former U.S. Attorney and Deputy Assistant Attorney General Harry Littman said the way the FBI handled the raid actually showed the seriousness with which the Department of Justice treats material that might be protected by attorney client privilege. It doesn't say whether or not it was justified, but a judge did give them that authority. Uh, when Rosenstein requested that he uh, rule in the case. It's very unusual, Mr. Uh, Littman uh, points out, for the Department of Justice to permit prosecutors to raid an attorney's office, and that's because you want to be careful not to get privileged material. Uh, Mr. Littman, by the way, teaches at the UCLA School of Law and continues to practice at the law firm Constantine Cannon. In order to get the okay to raid Cohen's office, the president's attorney, prosecutors would have had to uh, get approval from high up in this case from Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein, and demonstrate to a federal magistrate both probable cause and the need for a warrant instead of a subpoena, such as uh, a concern that uh, Cohen might destroy evidence, Littman uh, points out. Well, in addition, the probable cause would have to uh, relate to a crime centered on Cohen, not Trump or someone else. You can't use it as an end run around to uh, get the client. Uh, There's also um, a taint that there would be a taint if, in fact, that was the case to on the team to examine everything before it was handed over to the prosecutors to make sure that those conducting the case never see any material that might be tainted by attorney client privilege. So it goes to a, a disinterested party essentially who uh, goes through all of this privileged communication to determine what can be released and what has to be retained under that principle. Well, the only way the prosecution would be permitted to examine any material that might over uh, otherwise fall under the attorney client umbrella. Is if it is determined to be part of a crime jointly undertaken by the attorney and the client, but for the privilege to be nullified, uh, Littman says that the taint team would have to uh, get the approval of the court to present the material to the prosecution and its uh, it 's a uh, challenge now uh, they have to this third party this disinterested party would have to determine what is privileged and what can be handed over, and if there 's any any mixture in that, then it would taint the prosecution's case and would in fact um, have the potential of seeing the case thrown out based on that fact rather than the merits. So that's at least the background on how this is even possible. Whether or not it should have been done and there's sufficient grounds in this case is a, another matter. Sixteen minutes after four o'clock is the time you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Tony Evans will join us later this hour. 22 minutes after 4 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, he disclosed that his company is working with special counsel Robert Mueller and the federal probe of Russian interference in the 2016 presidential campaign and working hard to change its own operation after the harvesting of users' private information was used for campaign purposes in 2016 and earlier by the Obama campaign. Well, members of the House and Senate committees, uh, they were joint uh, judiciary committees, questioned the Facebook CEO, and in fact, we're going to Talk more about that with Hans von Spakovsky uh, later in the five o'clock hour. What kinds of questions should we hear? And I was uh, heartened to actually hear some of these same concepts being raised in the first day of two days of uh, testimony by Zuckerberg earlier today. But members of the House and Senate committee that uh, questioned the Facebook CEO about user privacy protection are also some of the biggest recipients of campaign contributions from Facebook, employees directly, and the Political Action Committee funded by employees. Now, the congressional panel that got the most Facebook con- uh, contributions is the House Energy and Commerce Committee, which announced Wednesday morning it would question Zuckerberg on the 11th of this month. Members of the committee, whose uh, jurisdiction gives a, a regulatory power over Internet companies, received about $381,000 in contributions tied to Facebook book, since 2007, according to the Center for Responsive Politics, the center is a nonpartisan nonprofit group that uh, compiles and analyzes disclosures made by the Federal Election Commission. So it's it's information that can be useful in trying to interpret how well uh, they uh, do their job in talking with him and anticipating the kinds of changes that they may suggest. The second highest total, $369,000, went to members of the Senate Commerce, Science and Transportation Committee, which announced later that it would have a joint hearing with the Senate Judiciary Committee to question Zuckerberg, and that was today. Judiciary Committee members have received $235,000 in Facebook contributions as well. On the House Committee, Republicans got roughly twice as much as Democrats, counter to uh, the uh, broader trend in Facebook campaign gifts of the $7 million in contributions to all federal candidates tied to the Menlo Park, California-based social network, Democrats got 65 percent to Republicans, 33 percent. Of the 55 members on the Energy and Commerce Committee this year, all but nine have received Facebook contributions in the past decade. The average Republican, about $6,800, while the average uh, Democrat, $6,750. Committee Chairman Greg Walden received $27,000, while Representative Frank Pallone of New Jersey, the top-ranking Democrat, got $7,000. Walden and Pallone jointly announced that the committee on April the 11th will question Zuckerberg to shed light on critical consumer data privacy issues and help all Americans better understand uh, what happens to their personal information online, and that uh, will resume tomorrow. The two congressmen said they appreciate Mr. Zuckerberg's willingness to testify. A uh, Facebook spokesman responded to questions about the contributions by pointing to an April 2017 statement the company issued to employees about political engagement. It said it is important for the company to develop relationships with elected officials who share our vision of an open Internet. Well, The statement described the company's PAC and said decisions about which candidates get support are based on whether their policy positions are consistent with the companies and whether the candidate holds a key committee or leadership position. So just a little more information to add to your analysis of what's happening over the next two days in Washington. Well, for at least a year, and here's an example of why we need to be more vigilant, perhaps, in our encounters in social media in general, and Facebook in particular. The biggest page on Facebook purporting to be part of the Black Lives Matter movement was, in fact, a scam with ties to a middle-aged white man in Australia. That's according to a review of the page and associated accounts and websites conducted by CNN shows. The page titled simply Black Lives Matter had almost 700,000 followers on Facebook, more than twice as many as the official Black Lives Matter page. It was tied to online fundraisers that brought in about $100,000 that supposedly went to Black Lives Matter causes in the U.S. At least some of that money, however, was transferred to Australian bank accounts, according to CNN. Fundraising campaigns associated with the Facebook page were suspended by PayPal and uh, another um, uh, fundraising source after CNN contacted each of the companies for comment. Uh, Donor Box and Classy had already removed the campaigns. The discovery raises new questions about the integrity of Facebook's platforms and the content hosted there. In the run up to Facebook, CEO Mark Zuckerberg's testimony before Congress that began today, Facebook announced plans to make the people running large pages verify their identity and their location. But it's not clear that the change would affect this page. Facebook has not said what information about page owners it will disclose to the public. And presented with CNN's findings, Facebook initially said the page didn't violate its community standards well only after almost a week of emails and calls between cnn and facebook about this story did facebook suspend the page and then only because it had suspended a user account that administered the page well the discovery also raises questions about facebook's commitment to change and to policing its platform which is considerably large and the question is whether or not even if they wanted to they were capable of overseeing such a uh, a robust platform, even in the midst of its PR offensive leading up to uh, Zuckerberg's testimony. Not for the first time, Facebook took action against a major bad actor on its site, not on its uh, own, but because journalists made um, inquiries. Indeed, Facebook was told of uh, concerns about the page some time ago. Patrice Colors, a, a co-founder of the Black Lives Matter movement, told CNN that Black Lives Matter had, in fact, suspected the page was a scam, contacted Facebook about removing it a few months ago. Almost 700,000 users followed the page, which was not uh, disabled by Facebook until several days after CNN brought the company's attention or focused it on that. The Facebook page was separate from Facebook's suspension of it. Apparently, uh, taken down by a person who administered the page shortly after uh, the... Expose The people behind the page also ran a hugely popular Facebook group, also titled Black Lives Matter, with about 40,000 members. It appears to be the biggest group on the platform professing to support Black Lives Matter. Facebook groups are similar to traditional discussion forums, and unlike pages, people normally need to request to join. The page consistently linked to websites tied to Ian McKay, a National Union of Workers official in Australia. The union represents thousands of workers across various industries. A spokesperson for the National Union of Workers said uh, today that it has suspended McKay and uh, one other official while it investigates the situation. So there's a lot to uh, lot to cover in these conversations between Mr. Zuckerberg and members of Congress, many of whom who have benefited financially in terms of their campaigns. Let's hope they uh, they arrive at solutions that the American people and others, I suppose, across the globe can ultimately support. Now, coming up in just a few moments, we're going to talk with uh, Tony Evans. He is uh, founder and senior pastor of Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas. He's the founder and president of the Urban Alternative, chaplain of the NBA's Dallas Mavericks, and author of The Power of God's Names, Victory in Spiritual Warfare, and many other books. His radio broadcast, The Alternative, with uh, Dr. Tony Evans, is heard here 10 a.m. in the mornings, uh, weekdays and at midnight. And we're delighted that his latest book, Your Comeback, Your Past, doesn't have to det- Determine Your Future is going to be out in just the next few days. He's going to join us to talk about that in just a few moments. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show.
0: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast, it is aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
1: Hey, we are back 35 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, if you've struggled with adversity, dealt with health problems, a financial crisis, or broken relationship, my next guest, Dr. Tony Evans, has written a book just for you. Your comeback. Your past doesn't have to determine your future. The best selling author of more than 100 books, booklets, and Bible studies, Dr. Evans writes that if you model qualities like wisdom, patience, resilience, and obedience, you can turn your setback into a comeback. Well, Dr. Evans is founder and senior pastor of Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas, Texas, founder and president of the Urban Alternative, chaplain of the NBA's Dallas Mavericks, and author of The Power of God's Names, Victory in Spiritual Warfare, and many other books. His radio broadcast, which is heard right here on KPDQ, The Alternative, with Dr. Tony Evans, can be heard on more than 1,200 U.S. outlets daily and in more than 130 countries. His latest book, Your Comeback, Your Past Doesn't Have to Determine Your Future, that is our subject, and we are delighted to have you with us, Dr. Evans. Thank you so much. Hello. Good to be with you. It's good to have you back. Now, you begin the book with um, the, the title, My Own Comeback. And you say, if there's one thing you can count on in your life, it's that your path will not always be easy. And I think we can all give a hearty amen to that. But you write more personally about the challenge you faced when you felt that God was calling you to something you were not physically capable of doing.
2: Well, yeah, I grew up with a major stuttering problem. Um, uh, it was a combination of lisp and, study and stuttering, and uh, people who listen to me closely can still hear remnants of that today. So who would have thought that uh, my whole life would wrap around speaking and uh, communicating? And uh, and so I was written off uh, by, by people, uh, but through a series of, uh, of people brought into my life, my the faith of my family that was transferred to me. Uh, God took a mess and turned it into a miracle and now is using it worldwide today. So it means that where you used to be doesn't have to be where you wind up.
1: Hmm. Now, you make the point that you didn't. it just, didn't just happen overnight, that you had to work, you had to practice, you had to pray, you had to get some help from trained speech therapists. We're not supposed to just sit on the sidelines and wait. But if God is calling us to something and we're looking for that comeback, there's some things that we need to do as well.
2: Well, absolutely. What <laughs> You'll discover in the Bible, whenever God was going to do something or in a community's life. He would call on them to do something first. They would have to act. They would have to walk by faith. Uh, You don't. You don't. You don't see a bird uh, sitting on a on a branch with its beak open toward heaven, waiting for worms to drop in. (laughs) God is the supplier, but they go worm hunting. So, so yeah, we have responsibility. But that responsibility is not to be independently of God. Mm-hmm. So our faith is in God, but our feet are moving on the
1: ground. Your first chapter is titled Think Different, and it's uh, you begin by telling us, reminding us of the story of Apple and how a very unlikely, uh, small, uh, sort of an obscure company managed to overtake the uh, uh, the big company in the room, IBM. Can you recall a bit of that story and what we can learn about thinking different about how God might move us forward?
2: Well, you know, IBM came up with Think, and uh, as it moved into this whole computer age, and then, like you said, this unknown company called Apple just added a word, Think Differently. And in, and just adding that word, it gave people a new perspective on how they were thinking. Well, everybody with the brain thinks, but everybody with the brain who thinks do not think from a kingdom biblically-based, divinely authored point of view. And we need to think differently. We need to think differently about identity. We need to think differently about who God is. We need to think differently about how God works. And we need not to just buy the line that we've been taught all of our lives based on secular theory and secular thinking. God is true, and every man is a liar, but you'll never find out how true God is and how bad man is when he contradicts God, unless you think his thoughts after him and move in light of those thoughts, and so, so we're challenging people to, to think differently, so that you're not harnessed by the leash of yesterday, but set free to the to the hope of tomorrow.
1: You share the story of Naaman, who is a character in Scripture. We we learn about him in uh, in the Book of Kings, Second Kings, and he was really quite an extraordinary figure. But he had an impediment that threatened everything. Tell us, remind us the story of Naaman and what we can draw from uh, his response to God's provision for his comeback.
2: Well, Naaman had an incurable disease. Back then it was leprosy, and, uh, and that man it was, it was ultimately going to be a death sentence. And then this little slave girl says, well, there's a prophet uh, uh, who, who I think can help you out. He goes and tries to use money to buy a solution. The prophet sends his servant to the door and says, "Uh, no, we're not going to take your money, but if you go down to the Jordan and dip seven grimes, then uh, 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 then you can see a change in your situation. This is where I think differently pops in, because he says, well, I thought, see, that's the problem right (laughs) there. God said one thing, and he began thinking. I thought that he would tell me to go to these other rivers that were cleaner and prettier and nicer, and so he was he was walking away from the will of God using his own human understanding, and that's when his own servant told him well if you if the prophet would have told you to do something hard, you would have done that. He tells you to do this, and you won't do it." So he humbled himself and yielded to the word of God seven times, which means you have to obey to completeness, seven is the number of completeness. When he obeyed to the to the complete degree, he got two miracles: number one. The leprosy was healed, but number two, his skin was like the skin of a baby, which means God reversed uh, uh, the damage that had been done. So he not only healed the problem, but he reversed the damage. So when God comes through for you because you obey his unlikely instructions— then he can do he can do exceedingly abundantly above what you ask or think.
1: One of the points that you emphasize is the fact that he had to do everything that God had called him to do. He had to go to the river seven times. He had to immerse himself seven times. And many of us miss out on what God intends because we don't complete uh, all of what he's told us to do.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. All through the Bible, obedience has to be completed. Partial obedience is full disobedience. Mm-hmm. So unless you finish what God says and I guess start or go halfway on what God says, then you have not done all that he has told you to do. And so you can be blocking your own miracle.
1: Now you end each chapter with a reflection and application questions. How do you see readers um, not only reading and learning about the examples that are, that are in the book, and there are many of them, but really applying them in a way that um, they go to the heart and not just, uh, not just to the head. Well,
2: first of all, the person has to say, okay, what what is the problem, and why is it there? Because if the problem is due to our own sin, then that means that confession and repentance is going to be absolutely necessary. But some problems exist not because of our sin, but because of being in a sinful world, or the sins of others that have been perpetrated against us that are still haunting us. Then we've got to make sure that we're not harboring unforgiveness, because then that that makes their sin a sin on us, because we're not uh, dealing with it spiritually, but once you've dealt with it spiritually, then you can go to God and ask God to intervene as you're waiting on God and waiting on God doesn't mean doing nothing. waiting on God means not going outside of God's will to do something as you're waiting on God, you make sure you're completing your obedience and then you trust God to work now God can work in a lot of ways: one, you can work supernaturally and make the problem disappear. secondly. He can, he can walk with you over a period of time while he transitions you out of the problem. Or thirdly, he can change you without ever touching the problem. But either way, according to Isaiah 40, he gives you new strength. That is, new ability to deal with whatever you're dealing with so that yesterday is no longer holding you hostage.
1: In your book, Your Comeback, you encourage uh, readers to embrace the unusual. Perhaps the the story we just looked at is a great example of that. Naaman did not expect something as um, as, as simple and ordinary as, as immersing himself uh, as God instructed him. But how might we expect God to call us, uh, even if it's something unusual, and how should we respond?
2: Well... When God calls us to do something that doesn't make sense, and God often doesn't make sense, Isaiah fifty-five eleven, his ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts. So as ridiculous as it sounds, if it is God's will because it's based on God's word, and if you're not sure about the application, ask God for two or three witnesses or confirmations. God confirms his word word through other people or through circumstances or other scenarios, once you get that word in your heart and mind and soul, then you are to move on it. Once you start moving on it, you have activated, you have activated God's intervention into your situation. What what movement does is it does like, you know, we've had to install in our church some uh, motion detector lighting, because people are leaving on electricity and wasting electricity and so now in those rooms where we have motion detector lighting the lights won't come on until steps have been taken to enter the room. The lights are in the room, the power's in the room, but they've been programmed not to come Mm. on until motion has been detected. God's answer to many of our prayers are programmed not to come on until movement has been detected.
1: (laughs) We're talking with uh, Dr. Tony Evans. His book is Your Comeback. Your past doesn't have to determine your future. We'll continue our conversation in a moment. We'll be back. Hey, we're back. Fifty one minutes after four o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. If you've ever felt like um, well, you've fallen too far, you've experienced too much, too much defeat to ever be used in mighty ways by God. You need a glimpse of real hope. I want to encourage you to read your comeback. Your past doesn't have to determine your future. It's going to be out in bookstores on the first of May. You can pre order right now. The book is published by Harvest House. We're talking with Dr. Tony Evans. He's the founder and senior pastor of Oak Cliff Bible Fellowship in Dallas. He's the founder and president president of the Urban Alternative and chaplain of the NBA's Dallas Mavericks. You make the point that um, our natural impulse when we face a setback is to try to get out of it. But you encourage us to approach it a bit differently. What do you suggest we do when we find ourselves faced with what seems like uh, an impossible setback?
2: Well, what we have to learn to do is go through. You know, God delivered uh, Israel from Egypt. His goal was to take them to the promised land, but they couldn't get there except going through the wilderness. The way out is normally through, because God was designing the wilderness for their development before they reached their destiny. So God has a threefold movement, deliverance, development, destiny. We want deliverance, and we want to jet to destiny, (laughs) and not go through the development process of the wilderness, which is why, of course, uh, James one fifth of all joy when you go into various trials. He's not he's not saying be joyful about the trial. He's saying be joyful about the purpose for the trial, and that is to develop you for the place where God is trying to take you.
1: You include in the book um, a number of stories of sports teams that, that won with no shot at, at victory, um, comebacks and biblical heroes uh, who had pasts that would otherwise have disqualified uh, them. <laughs> Uh, Tell us uh, maybe a couple of the more compelling stories of comebacks that would encourage us to consider that perhaps we're not alone and that God may in fact have purpose for me despite my current setback.
2: Well, you know, the the stories in the Bible are, are, are person after person after person after person who had a setback. Some due to their sin, some due to their circumstances, and God had to intervene to turn it around. You know, I think of uh, uh, Gehiza, which I talk about in the book, because that comes right on the heels heels of Naaman, And he's told by God, he's going to have leprosy forever, and this is going to affect his generations to come. You talk about a hopeless situation, and it came from God. Yet we find a few chapters later, Gehiza is with the king, having a conversation with the king. And the question is, well, wait a minute, if he's the leper condemned the leprosy, and leprosy was communicable, so you kept lepers separate from the masses, how is he fraternizing with the king? And that is, the answer to that is between the two stories is the story of the four lepers, when the, they will face the same situation that he the face when he was uh, stole the money from, um, from uh, uh, Naaman, and God gave him a retest. The beautiful thing about God is even when he's failed you, he gives retest. So if you fail God and, and and you have just blown it big, ask God for a retest. Because if he gives you a retest, that's an opportunity for a new grade. And God regularly does that even to reverse his own sentence on us. And that is the great thing about God. You know, I love sports. I'm heavily into sports. Uh, my son played in the NFL for a while, and, and uh, so I, I keep up with it, and, you know. Everybody didn't work out too well this this past Super Bowl, but it hasn't worked <laughs> out to a lot of other Super Bowls. Where Tom Brady has come back. I mean, two Super Bowls before uh, uh, ago, he was twenty five points down in the middle of the third quarter, and uh, he brought his team back. Why? Because he was he was not thinking about the failures of the first Uh, or two-and-a-half quarters, he was thinking about the time he had left and what he was going to do with that time to bring his team back. Look, if you spend all of your time thinking about yesterday, you're going to mess up tomorrow and ruin today. You've got to look at the time you have left. And since nobody knows how much time that is, you're going to have to maximize each day for your good and for God's glory. You put God's glory up there, he'll take care of your good down here, and you can begin to see God change the score in your life.
1: In the first half of the book, you focus on examples of comebacks, uh, not to stay down, to keep moving forward, to stare down the challenge. And in the second half of the book, you offer ingredients of comebacks, things that we need to be prepared to do in order to see God restore us in these areas. Talk a bit about uh, the the necessity of endurance and wisdom, patience, accepting the direction uh, that he has for us and uh, pursuing greater intimacy.
2: Well, one of the things that we need to do in, during, during a, a trial period is we need wisdom. Wisdom is the application of God's standard to practical situations in life. Wisdom is how to use the truth of God in the trouble I'm in. The Bible says in James one five that anyone who lacks wisdom, you don't know, you don't know where to go in Scripture, and you don't know how to use it, even if you knew where to go. Let him ask, ask of God, and God won't just give it to him. He will give it to him liberally. You know, he'll give you more than you can use. So if you don't know how to handle what you're dealing with right now, you say, Lord, show me your perspective and how to use it in this circumstance. And I guarantee you, based on his promise, he will bring somebody into your life, some sermon that you hear, some song that is sung that will give you a, 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 a nudging uh, toward what you should do bibli- bibliocentrically in the scenario that you're in. So wisdom comes through request. Endurance means don't quit, don't, don't, don't quit before the bell rings, okay? If it's not over, then it's not over. And don't make it over when it's not over. If, 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 if uh, you're still here and God is still here and God is still working with you, don't, don't illegitimately leave a trial In an illegitimate way. Now you don't stay in a situation you don't have to stay in that's negative, but neither do you illegitimately get out of it because God is not finished with it yet. You know, if a a kid sees a crystalus, sees a a, a, you know a a butterfly shaking inside of a of, of the cocoon of a caterpillar, and it slits it open to help the butterfly out. You, you you just been that butterfly because it needs the struggle to develop the wings mm-hmm. so that it can take off and fly. So don't end a struggle too soon so that you're hindering yourself from taking off to the place where God wants you to fly to.
1: Mm. God always has purpose in allowing us to go through the process necessary to come out as pure gold.
2: Absolutely.
1: Pursuing greater intimacy is a challenge. There are so many distractions, yes. and we tend to want to move on to other things when we're frustrated by the necessity of patience and endurance. Talk about how we can press in and uh, go deeper in our relationship with God as we're going through this process and experiencing his ultimate purpose.
2: Well, yeah, the, the, the closer you are to somebody, the more you hear them and the more you understand them. So nothing can replace drawing near to me, God said, and I will draw near to you. So God says, if if we're, we're if we have a gap between us, it's not because He moved, it's because we've moved. So the question is, how do you draw near to God? Well, the nearness word in the in the Apostle John's lips is the word abide. The word abide means to stay, hang out, loiter, be in connection with. And the simplest way to maintain intimacy is bring God in on everything, bring Him in on the smallest thing, the medium-sized thing, and not only the big things that we are desperate for him that's why you can pray without ceasing when you bring god in uh, lord i've got to make i gotta have this conversation with my mate i've got to discipline my child in the ferry. give me give me understanding and wisdom i've got this decision to make at work i've gotta i'm, I'm how, how do i handle this financial challenge that i'm facing you bring him in that means you're abiding you're hanging out with him you're letting him have a say so in every aspect of life when you bring him in, this this is not just formal times in church and formal devotions. This is including him every every time and everywhere about everything. And when you do that, then you are drawing near to him. And the more you draw near to him, the more you will experience.
1: Well, the book is titled "Your Comeback." Your past It doesn't have to determine your future. It's out on May the first. You can pre-order right now, Doctor Tony Evans. Thank you so much for talking with us today.
2: Father, the joy you. Thank you, and we have. A lot of other resources available on TonyEvans.org.
1: Excellent. Thank you so much. We've got news and traffic coming up here at the top of the hour. And keep in mind, he's also traveling to Israel with his wife, son, and others. Uh, check that out at kpdq.com. News and traffic up next.
0: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
1: Well, good afternoon, and welcome back to the second hour of the Georgine Rice Show. Six minutes after five o'clock is our time. Well, Facebook's handling of users' personal data sparked some privacy concerns, including political campaigns and others. How they use that information, uh, and uh, Zuckerberg, of course, testified throughout the day today before Congress. Will do the same again tomorrow, and this is uh, particularly following the disclosure that Cambridge Analytica gained access to as many as eighty-seven million Facebook profiles, uh, and it. Allegedly use that information to uh, uh, prop uh, to help the, the political campaign of Donald Trump. It raises questions, which my next guest raises in a, a piece that appeared in the Patriot Post about uh, what Congress should be asking Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of Facebook, as well as some implications uh, of the uh, disclosure of Cambridge Analytica's use of um, information from 87 million Facebook profiles. Hans von Spakovsky is a, an authority on a wide range of issues including civil rights civil justice the first amendment and immigration he joins us now to talk about uh, what kinds of questions we should expect and uh, did hear uh, from uh, posed rather to mark zuckerberg earlier today and tomorrow thank you so much for joining us
3: Sure. (laughs) Thanks for having
1: me back. You raise a couple of uh, questions uh, that uh, that are that grow out of uh, disclosure that Cambridge Analytica gained access to as many as 87 million face profiles and were hired by the Donald Trump presidential campaign uh, to use that information to assist in uh, accessing people. What are the questions that that poses that we ought to be concerned about?
3: Well, the question we should have is uh, how much access to the personal profiles of Facebook users does Facebook give to uh, its commercial customers, uh, uh, companies like Cambridge Analytica? Um, you know, look, there was a there was questioning about that today, but I was astounded that um, there wasn't any question about the other big elephant that should have been in the room, uh, and that is the fact that. Uh, everybody's concentrating about on Cambridge Analytica and the work they did for the Trump campaign. But, of course, the 2012 Obama campaign actually pioneered what Cambridge Analytica did. The, the, the Obama campaign basically sucked all this data um, out of Facebook. And the media director for, for um, the Obama campaign recently said that when Facebook found out about it, Facebook came to their offices and said, well, We don't usually allow people to use this data, but we're going to allow you to do it because we favor your candidate. There weren't any questions about that, Mm -hmm. and in the written testimony that Zuckerberg submitted – he talked about what happened with Cambridge Analytica, but didn't say a word about uh, those claims from the Obama uh, uh, campaign.
1: Now, one of the questions you suggested should be posed to Mr. Zuckerberg is who at Facebook made that decision. Yes. And is this a a novel decision or is this a, a practice that that they have been engaged in over over time?
3: Yeah. And, and they really didn't get into that and didn't ask it. I, I I guess I shouldn't have been surprised, but uh, to today's uh, performance um, basically showed how, frankly, bad and incompetent most senators are at trying to ask questions of of a witness.
1: One of the other questions that you suggested, which would constitute a follow up, is did the Mitt Romney presidential campaign receive access to the same information and company expertise uh, provided to the Obama uh, campaign? Of course, that wasn't posed today, possibly tomorrow.
3: Well, I would hope so. I hope the House does a better a better job of it. Um, what happened today was he testified in front of two Senate mm-hmm. committees who were meeting jointly. Tomorrow it's the House, and I hope that somebody actually asks these relevant questions instead of, many of the, frankly, irrelevant questions that got asked of him today.
1: Well, let's talk about the uh, the questions. We've mentioned a couple of them, but you posed 10 of the most important questions that uh, that you suggest lawmakers ask. And these are really, they really go to the heart of the controversy. Uh, the first is, if users of the platform are not the sources of the income, then who or what is? Were you satisfied that that was even approached earlier today?
3: Yeah, to some extent, but it still isn't clear, um, how much access the paying customers of Facebook get to the data and the, the profiles that Facebook um, develops? I mean, I, I think individual users need to understand the reason they don't have to pay the fee is because all of the all of the data that you post on your Facebook account for your uh, family and friends and, and others. I mean, that's all of the data that uh, Facebook uses to developing, to develop targeting for the advertising that they then sell. So they're basically making money off of you and the personal information that you put on there for the world to see.
1: I think that probably isn't altogether surprising, but I think people have underestimated how useful that information is, how it's being mined and used in ways that most of us really hadn't thought through.
3: Yeah, no, I think that's true. And, um, I think the the big question that's that's going to come out of these hearings and that people have to face is this uh, what expectation of privacy do individuals who you have Facebook accounts what expectation of privacy do they have uh, with this company. Uh, about the information that they are posting online. And I don't think we really got an answer to that today.
1: No, I don't think so either. Another of the questions you suggest, and this would, I think, go to the heart of of much of what uh, people are now concerned about, specifically what services do you provide to your paying customers and how much access do you give them to the data of Facebook users? Again, I think most of us don't fully comprehend um, what what's being made available and, and whether or not we're linked to that information as it relates to specific paying advertisers.
3: Yeah, that, that's really true. And it, if we go uh, back to the Obama campaign, for example, look, they were able to get enough data out of um, uh, Facebook. So, they could individually target Facebook users uh, who they thought uh, could be persuaded to vote for their candidate or who they thought could be persuaded to contribute money uh, to their candidate and so they're they're getting access to very personal information you know the information is not being anonymized if I can use that word um, <laughs> that, that facebook has
1: and and it not just people who consented. Uh, and supported the campaign, but their are friends as well. Yes. So people uh, were sort of caught up in that net who happened to know somebody who happened to support the campaign.
3: You know, that's exactly right. And that's a key thing for everyone to keep in mind, that these apps that were being developed by these various uh, uh, companies like Cambridge Analytica, what Obama's campaign did was w- once one person said, uh, who uses Facebook, said, well, it's OK uh, for you to get my information. What they sucked out was uh, the friends, all of the friends of that particular individual who were also on Facebook, who all the friends, of course, hadn't given permission for that.
1: What are some of the other questions we should listen for as the uh, hearing uh, continues tomorrow with a new set of players?
3: Well, look, you know, one of the, one of the uh, functions you can use, of course, is instant messaging uh, on Facebook, uh, and I think Facebook needs to be asked, do they collect phone call and message information, and do they use that for any any kind of purposes
1: and i It seemed to me one uh, member of the Senate did at least approximate that question, and he uh, he answered by saying no, but it wasn't a very thorough answer
3: yeah it, you're right uh, that that what that was asked, but i don 't think they went into enough detail. Uh, on that particular question.
1: You um, also suggest the question, does Facebook now or has it ever deliberately collected the content of users' phone calls and messages via any of your company applications or services? If so, what have you done with that data? Again, an important question. And why have you suggested that the government may need to regulate you and other tech companies? What What is he thinking that this is the only way his company is going to survive or that we simply cannot manage this behemoth that, uh, that is called Facebook.
3: Yeah, I, I think that his push for government regulation is a way of taking the attention away from them, the mistakes they've made, uh, and push it over onto the government so that there's a fight in, in Congress over this. Because, look, it's, it's not that difficult for the company if it really wants to do this. To set out a set of rules on what, uh, uh, how the privacy of um, users will be guarded, um, how the data will be used, uh, publish that for the world to see, and then enforce those rules themselves as a company.
1: What do you think the uh, the ultimate um, purpose of this these hearings is, and what will be accomplished?
3: Well, you know, there were a lot of questions from Democratic senators about um, the fact that. Uh, Russians uh, got into Facebook and, and were using it. So I think part of what they were trying to do again here was to paint this idea that Russians uh, manipulated the 2016 election. The evidence of that is uh, pretty slim that it had any kind of effect at all because it was so minor compared to the uh, all the other activities of the actual uh, candidates. But I suspect the end is going to be Congress uh, proposing some kind of legislation that guards the Privacy rights of uh, uh, Facebook users and, and users of other kinds of similar technology. Well,
1: we'll watch with interest day two. Hans von Spikowski, thanks so much for talking with us. Sure, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, we're going to take a quick break. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show.
0: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. is aired on ninety three point nine KPDQ.
1: We're back twenty one minutes after five o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. By the way, that piece by Hans von Spakovsky, my guest in the previous segment, uh, it's on the Georgine Rice Show Facebook page. If you'd like to see the ten questions in uh, their entirety and in the broader context, uh, anyway, Mister um, uh, Zuckerberg is going to be testifying before Congress tomorrow, the House and uh, my guess is it'll take as much time as it did today in the uh, in the senate so you can check that out again the georgine rice show Facebook page. Well, as the House prepares to vote this week on a largely symbolic balanced budget amendment to the Constitution, its own budget watchdog delivered a pretty stark reality check uh, yesterday that forecasts the return of $1 trillion plus annual deficits and a ballooning public debt that's going to approach $29 trillion by the end of the next decade. Now, m- my understanding was the Republicans campaigned on the fact that they were going to get our fiscal house in order and yet here we stand. If current laws governing taxes and spending generally remain unchanged the federal budget deficit would grow substantially over the next few years that's according to the nonpartisan congressional budget office in its uh, 10-year budget forecast with accumulating deficits driving debt held by the public to nearly 100% of gdp by 2028 that's just 10 years from now so It's uh, pretty alarming. Meanwhile, conservatives who are pretty unhappy with the $1.3 trillion spending bill that was signed last month by the president want the president to ask Congress to rescind some of the funds it authorized. The chairman of the House Freedom Caucus said uh, Monday, this is Mark Meadows, Representative Meadows, I'm very supportive of the White House and our leadership engaging in this. He was speaking on Monday of the rescission process in a statement uh, to the Daily Signal. It's no secret that Washington spending is beyond out of control, Meadows said. So any avenue we can use to meaningfully address the issue should certainly be considered and would be welcome, a welcome development. The bill is too big. It spends too much money. That's a quote from Representative Marsha Blackburn out of Tennessee, speaking to a, a Business Sunday program, it's money we don't have. And that really is the bottom line. Now, we don't have it. Future generations will have to have it in order to pay for our folly. Referring to Trump, Blackburn added he understands that we are borrowing this money. We're borrowing about 35 cents on the dollar at this uh, at this point, And he understands that this puts us in the... Um, uh, in the queue for trillion dollar deficits in true Donald Trump fashion, she said he's going to do something about it. Well, whether or not that's possible when he was unable to do something about it when the budget uh, was passed and he signed on to it uh, raises some pretty large questions. Conservative lawmakers, among them Blackburn and Meadows, want the president to send a so-called rescission request to Congress to cancel spending that the legislators previously approved in the budget. Now, how that's going to be possible, not entirely clear. 90 Republican members of the House voted against the 2,000-plus page omnibus bill, as did 23 Republican senators. That's not enough, however, for a recension order. Um, the director of communications at the Office of Management and Budget said that uh, in an email that the White House agency is helping to craft that request. We're working on a package of wasteful spending to rescind that Uh, should be ready at the end of the month. Uh, It's important to note that this is a a non-defense discretionary spending that the president was not happy with. Well, to start the recension process, the president has to send a request uh, or requests, plural, to Congress. Once he does that, Congress has 45 in uh, session days to act, Well, the uh, recension is uh, or uh, they're introduced as legislation in both the House and the Senate and referred to a committee They can be thrown out of that uh, committee uh, if it doesn't act within 25 days. Well, in the House, debate on a recension package is limited to two hours. In the Senate, debate is limited to 10 hours, according to a report from the Conservative Partnership Institute. These are the rules of how this process uh, takes place. Well, the process can't be used to cut mandatory spending, including the entitlement programs like Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, food stamps. It's protected from the filibuster, which means a simple majority in each chamber can decide to rescind funds. Now, recension requests used to be commonplace, according to uh, the director of the Thomas A. Rowe Institute for Economic Policy Studies, and that's at the Heritage Foundation, saying every president between Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton sent up tons of recension requests. Uh, now, we're not familiar with them today because it's been a while since we've uh, seen or heard about them. Every president between Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton. In 1999, Clinton sent off three different recension requests. He said, I think that there are a, were a couple uh, in the Reagan administration, where he sent up more than 200 of these requests, it used to be a fairly common thing. Well, President George W. Bush, Barack Obama, however, did not make any uh, rescission requests uh, to Congress. Uh, Alan Schick, who teaches at the University of Maryland School of Public Policy uh, and previously was a senior specialist at the Congressional Research Service, said President Ronald Reagan used the, the rescission re- uh, process um, to request over $23 billion in cancellations shortly after he became president, Congress ascended more than 65 percent of his requests. So while this will be uh, treated as though this was an, is an unusual uh, practice on the part of an executive, it apparently was much more common um, before the uh, the Clinton era than it is today. Reagan did it. George Herbert Walker Bush did it. Clinton did it. And they did it uh, all in the years that they were uh, in office. Uh, If you think about it, it makes sense because if something happens, there's a change in demand, lots of real-world things happen, and the administration, being a good actor, can turn back to Congress and say, you know, we thought uh, we needed so many of X, and it turns out that we don't, so take your money back, do whatever it is uh, that you want to do with that. So it it provides, it's not a line-item veto, but it does give the executive some authority at revisiting some of the things that he may have uh, approved previously. Well, in a similar effort to curb spending, some lawmakers also say that they want to pass an amendment with a vote expected this week in the House requiring that Congress not spend more than it brings in. A balanced budget amendment. It's been one of the highest priorities of my tenure in Congress. House Judiciary Chairman Bob Goodlot out of Virginia said in a written statement, a constitutional amendment required a balanced budget would finally bring discipline to federal spending and would benefit generations to come. Well, for that amendment to pass, it would require approval of three-fifths of both the House and the Senate. A group of leaders in the conservative movement called the Conservative Action Project released a memo on Monday decrying the omnibus spending bill. And the memo calls on Congress to never again pass an omnibus boondoggle and urges Trump to never again sign such a spending bill. Well, among those signing the memo were Edwin uh, Meese III. Uh, who served as the nation's 75th attorney general under Reagan, Donald Devine, who was the director of the Office of Personnel Management under Reagan. Now, again, this is a pretty high bar to amend the Constitution, um, but they are apparently undertaking that effort, and we'll certainly follow that as it moves forward. Meanwhile, President Xi Jinping promised today to cut China's auto tariffs and to improve intellectual property protection in possible concessions aimed at diffusing a worsening dispute with Washington over trade and technology that investors worry could back the uh, global economic setback the uh, global economic recovery. Well, speaking at a business conference, the Chinese president made no direct mention of uh, his you, His American uh, counterpart, Donald Trump, or the dispute, but he did promise progress on areas that are U.S. priorities, including opening China's banking industry, boosting imports, but didn't address key irritants for Washington, such as a requirement for foreign companies to work through joint ventures that require them to give technology to potential local competitors. Private sector analysts uh, saw Xi's speech as an overturned To help end the biggest trade dispute since World War II, and it has uh, fueled fears of a global economic chill if other nations respond with their own import barriers. Now, many are suggesting this is a bargaining chip that the president is attempting to use to force China's hand, and this may be some evidence that um, there may be some success, although this is only the first salvo. Markets surged in response in Asia, in uh, Europe, and also here in the United States, where the Dow jumped 300 points before the opening bell today. Xi tried to position China as a defender of free trade and cooperation, despite its status as the most closed major economy in response to Trump's America first calls for import restrictions and trade deals that are more favorable to the United States. More balanced, as uh, Donald Trump would put it. Well, China's doors are opening up, uh, will not uh, uh, are opening up, will not be closed and will only open wider, Xi said. At the uh, Forum for Asia on the southern island of Hainan, Xi said Beijing will significantly lower tariffs on auto imports this year and ease restrictions on foreign ownership in the auto industry as soon as possible. And you might recall that the president of the United States had threatened to raise tariffs on Chinese goods worth $50 billion in response to complaints. Beijing pressures foreign companies to hand over technology in violation of its World Trade Organization market opening commitments. We'll continue to keep an eye on what's, uh, what's happening in response. 30 minutes after 5 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show.
0: You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ.
1: 35 minutes after 5 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You know, a Christian education for your child is possible, and KPDQ listeners can save up to 40% on Christian school tuition at listenersavings.com. Among the schools, you'll find those discounts supplying to... Northwest Heritage Academy, Western Mennonite School, West Hills Christian School, Valor Christian School International, North Clackamas School. Check us out at listenersavings.com. Hey, up to 40% discounts on tuition. Well, Russia vetoed a United States-drafted resolution at the United Nations today that would have condemned a suspected poison gas attack by the Syrian regime on the Damascus suburb. Well, the vote in the 15-member U.N. Security Council was 12 in favor, with Russia and Bolivia opposing and China abstaining. It was the 12th time Russia has vetoed a resolution concerning Syria and 6th vetoed related to chemical Weapons. The resolution would have also established a new body to develop responsibility for uh, chemical weapons attacks during Syria's ongoing civil war. The Security Council rather voted down a rival Russian resolution moments later. U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations Nikki Haley said the U.S. went the extra mile to get Russian support for the resolution to ensure that the proposed investigative body would be impartial, independent and professional. By contrast, Taylor said the Russian resolution would allow Moscow to veto investigators and staff for the new body and to block its findings. Well, Russia's U.N. ambassador accused the United States of wanting the resolution to fail to justify the use of force against Syria. He added that the resolution was trying to recreate the old expert body whose extension, Moscow, blocked in November. He called that body a puppet in the hands of anti-Damascus forces. Earlier in the day, the International Chemical Weapons Watchdog said it was sending a fact-finding mission to the town of Duma where the suspected chemical weapons attack took place following a request from the Syrian government and its Russian backers that appeared to be aimed at averting punitive Western military action wasn't immediately clear whether the announcement by the Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons would delay or prevent a U.S. strike in Syria. The president had vowed to respond forcefully to Saturday's attack and warned that Russia or any other nation found to share responsibility will pay a price. The question is what price that may ultimately be. The incident has sparked international outrage and ratcheted up tensions in the already volatile Middle East, raising the specter of the possible imminent American retaliation with Russia's um, Warnings against any such action and denials that any chemical weapons attack took place at all. Adding to those tensions, Iran, a strong ally of the Syrian president Bashar Assad, threatened to respond to an airstrike on a Syrian military base on Monday that the Syrian government, Russia and Iran, had blamed on Israel. Seven Iranians were among the estimated 14 who were killed in that missile strike and a senior Iranian official visiting Damascus said the attacks will not remain unanswered. So everyone is attempting or threatening to answer uh, strikes against their own. Meanwhile, Todd Johnson, for the again for the Patriot Post, said that uh, post points out that there's no easy solution in in uh, Syria. It seems to be deja vu all over again for Secretary of Defense James Mattis and the Joint Chiefs of Staff, as they're once again fine-tuning military options for President Trump as he determines what type of military action he wants to conduct against Bashar al-Assad's Syrian government, which allegedly launched another chlorine attack against its people this past Sunday. The brazen attack, which claimed at least 70 victims, including numerous children is just the latest atrocity conducted by Assad's government. It was only a year ago that Trump ordered a Tomahawk missile strike on the 6th of April 2017 at the Al-Shirat airfield in retaliation over Assad's chemical attack against his own people at the town of Khan Sheikhoum. Uh, an attack that killed more than 80 people. Following that U.S. aerial attack, President Trump said, it is in this vital national interest, security interest of the United States to prevent and deter the spread and the use of deadly chemical weapons. Sadly, the U.S. attack did nothing to deter Assad's bloodthirst. And now Trump finds himself in the same position that he was in last year. Unfortunately for the commander-in-chief, the geopolitical situation this year is arguably much more complicated. Both the Russian and Iranian governments asserted that the The international community's call for action against Assad were unwarranted, and both nations have been vociferous in their defense of the embattled Syrian regime. Meanwhile, Syria's Assad regime is set to assume the chair of the United Nations Forum, whose agenda includes an end to weapons of mass destruction, at a time when it is accused of using those weapons of mass destruction against civilians in Syria. Only at the U.N. would this be permitted. Complicating the uh, the delicate situation even more is that on Monday, Israel appeared to launch a pre-dawn airstrike against Iranian-backed militants at a Syrian airbase, ratcheting up the tensions between those two Middle Eastern powers. It's an open secret that Iran and Israel are engaged in kinetic operations against one another in Syria and are actively looking for opportunities to take the fight to one another. It is um, uh, against this... Uh, Continuous strategic backdrop that the president and his national security team are having to make some very tough decisions about U.S. foreign policy towards Syria and the region as a whole. And George Will points out that such weapons referring to uh, the use of chlorine gas and chemical weapons such weapons and especially mustard gas which blistered skin and lungs seem so sinister, sinister rather that in 1925 the Geneva Protocol banned their use in war but not their development. This resulted in mutual deterrence during the next world war during which poison gas was used only for genocide might this fact have motivated Israel's alleged attack on a Syrian airbase? a day and a half after the Syrian regime was again suspected of using a nerve agent against a rebel position in a Damascus suburb. Since 1997, again George Will writes... A chemical weapons convention joined by 192 nations, including Syria, has banned the production and use of such weapons, which illustrates the limits of arms control agreements. They control those who's, uh, who last need to be controlled. Denmark is impeccably compliant. Syria is not. Did anyone other than the U.S. Secretary of State John Kerry believe his 2014 claim that, and I quote, we got 100% of Syria's chemical weapons removed from the country following the 2013 attack, including including the same Damascus suburb in which a nerve agent killed, according to the U.S. government, 426 children, 1,003 adults. U.S. ability to influence events in Syria has been vanishingly small since Barack Obama ignored the red line he drew in 2012 regarding Syrian chemical weapons. The enormous consequences Obama threatened turned out to be Kerry's chimeral um, accomplishment. One year ago this month, Syria, Syria's regime used sarin, which prompted the U.S. cruise missile attacks that did not deter last Saturday's use of chemical weapons. If at this late date, the only or primary U.S. objective in Syria, and it is not a um, contemptible one, is to economize violence and minimize atrocities, the ghastly but optimal outcome is a swift final victory for and by Bashar Assad's regime. A negotiated end to this civil war has long been a fantasy negotiation did not end the American, Russian, Spanish, or Chinese civil wars in 1865, 1920, 1939, 1949, respectively. Almost seven years have passed since Obama, a practitioner of ineffectual right-mindedness, announced in August of 2011 that the time has come for President Assad to step down. Assad remains unconvinced of that and will rule the rubble. This question, however, remains. What, if anything, should the United States do in response to the gratuitous use of these odious and indiscriminate weapons in an urban setting? Firing cruise missiles into Syria might be cathartic, but... Catharsis is not a serious foreign policy objective. Neither is pretending that there was forethought behind the current U.S. president's promise of a big price that Syria must brace itself to pay. Whatever this price is to be, there is no reason for it to occur without congressional authorization for a change. Americans probably sense rising disorder around the world and waning US ability to influence events from Russia's uh, dismemberment of Ukraine, Europe's geopolitically uh, uh, largest uh, nation uh, to China's attempts to impose its will on the South China Sea, the most strategically important portion of the world's seas that for 7 decades have been kept open and orderly by the US Navy, from the semi-genocidal uh, genocide rather against the Rohingya in Myanmar to the slow motion uh, closing of open societies in in Poland and Hungary and from the suburbs of Damascus to Bill Weichs, 63, an Illinois soybean farmer who, speaking with a Financial Times reporter said, I look out across my bean field and I know that every third row goes to China, maybe not. America has embarked on an audacious, not thought through experiment. The nation is shrugging off its post 1945 leadership on behalf of democratic pluralism that makes nations lawful and tranquil and is upending the world's trading system it created. Saying goodbye to all that is saying hello to we know not what. Again, George Will on what's happening not only in Syria but elsewhere in the world. And meantime, in the midst of all of this, Russians are apparently jamming U.S. drones over Syria, seriously hampering the military operations as the president ponders deploying aircraft carrier USS Harry Truman to the Arabian Gulf considers retaliation for the gas attack. And it is a mess which should drive all of us to our knees. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show, 45 minutes after five o'clock. We'll be back.
0: You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. is aired on ninety three point nine KPDQ.
1: Hey, welcome back! You're listening to the final segment of the Georgine Rice Show. Well, Senator Tammy Duckworth has given birth to a baby girl, making her the first sitting U.S. senator to give birth while in office. She's a Democrat out of Illinois. She announced she delivered her second daughter, uh, Miley um, Pearl Bowles Bay on Monday. Her office says uh, Duckworth is recovering well and asking for privacy. Duckworth is 50. She's a veteran who uh, lost her legs in the Iraq War. She's one of only 10 lawmakers who uh, have given birth while in Congress. Her first daughter, Abigail, was born in 2014. She says that Miley is uh, named after her husband's great-aunt, who was an Army officer and nurse in World War II, not the other Miley that may seem more familiar. She says she's grateful to friends and family and uh, our wonderful medical team for everyone everything rather they've done to help us in our decades long journey to complete our family so congratulations to the u.s senator the first sitting senator to give birth while in office and then i noted this uh, that northwestern university researchers they've discovered what they're calling a link between food allergies baby wipes and genetics calling it a perfect storm uh, that results in uh, challenges for kids. Food allergies in kids range from annoying to terrifying time-consuming life or our death condition for parents. Well, now, as I mentioned, Northwestern University researchers, they've discovered a link between all of these, uh, these this perfect storm of factors. Researchers found uh, from working with mice that food allergies developed if they possessed genetics that alter skin absorbency baby wipes that left soap on the skin when used they were exposed to dust allergens and they were in contact with problem foods like peanuts and eggs now i'm not sure how you avoid all of that in the normal course of living but joan uh, joan cook Mills, she's a professor of allergy immunology at the Northwestern University Feinberg School of Medicine. She called it the perfect storm for triggering a food allergy in a news release. This is a recipe for developing food allergy. It's a major advance in our understanding of how food allergy starts in early life. Well, the research, by the way, was published in the April issue of the Journal of Allergy and Clinical Immunology. Well, Cook Mills, she found exposing mice with a genetic mutation to something like peanuts alone had no effect when exposed to the skin. She considered all the other things that babies are exposed to, including environmental allergens. So Cook Mills then read about research studies that delivered compounds through the skin by using soap. I thought, oh, my goodness, that's an alteration of her actual quote. That's infant wipes. Well, Northwestern's research says that a baby's skin is made up of lipids that's fats, that can be, can be uh, distributed by the soap in the baby wipes. And in certain babies with a genetic disposition, this can increase the risk of their exposure to food allergies. Now, I don't know how you tell one baby from the next when using wipes. But the research doesn't say that wipes cause food allergies, but it does suggest ways to minimize a baby's exposure to food allergens. Well, researchers, in uh, responding to the question, what should parents do, uh, they do have some common sense. Basic suggestions to reduce baby skin exposure to food allergens. Wash your hands before handling the baby. Seems pretty uh, reasonable. Limit the use of baby wipes in the 21st century. That's a challenge. And rinse soap off with water. So if you're using a baby wipe, you want to follow that up with... uh, just a little water to wipe the uh, to rather wipe the soap off, and that apparently is going to make a difference in um, how a baby responds. So there you have it. Hey, a couple of things I want to let you know about. KPDQ and Daily Hope Ministries want to help you cultivate a powerful prayer life, so we're giving away a free copy of Pastor Rick Warren's 40 Days of Prayer Study Kit. Now, it includes six video uh, sessions with Pastor Warren. It offers practical wisdom and insight. You'll learn how to pray for breakthrough in your relationship conflicts, financial difficulties, poor habits, health challenges, and many other areas of life. The study kit comes with a DVD and workbook, and walks you through how to study God's Word, you can enter to win at kpdq.com. We've just been given a copy of uh, both resources, and it really is beautifully done. And I think you'll find it very uh, helpful in your walk of faith and in your prayer life. Again, Daily Hope is offering 40 days of prayer giveaway. You can go to kpdq.com for more on that. Also, there's a women's conference coming to Cannon Beach Conference Center. If you've never been to the Cannon Beach Conference Center for a women's conference, let me encourage you to take full advantage of the joy of coming together with women from all over the Pacific Pacific Northwest to hear some of the best speakers in the country. And um, this is no exception. Guess who's coming? Well, that would be our good friend, Liz Curtis- Higgs. She is funny, she's encouraging, she's down-to-earth, and she is biblically sound. It's a great combination, it's a great weekend, and we are giving away uh, a weekend for uh, one of our listeners who uh, wants to enjoy a weekend at Cannon Beach Conference Center. We're looking at May the 4th through the 6th, that's Friday night through Sunday. You can enter online for a chance to win a two-night stay at the conference, including meals and accommodations. And again, the the Cannon Beach Conference Center provides tremendous accommodations, and the Food is Unparalleled. Go to kpdq.com to enter today. You see that thread that's running through all of these? kpdq.com is a great resource uh, for a number of things. I want to remind you that um, we are also featuring a comedian, Nazareth The Comedian, he's going to be in concert for a night of clean comedy. For 25 years, that has been his passion, making people laugh and making the most out of life. So Saturday, May the 5th, 7 o'clock p.m. at East Hill Church. In fact, if your wife is going to the women's conference at the Cannon Beach Conference Center, you might want to consider grabbing a friend and going to uh, Nazareth The Comedian. Again, that's Saturday, May the 5th, 7 o'clock p.m. at East Hill Church in Gresham. Tickets are on sale now. KPDQ community members can get free early admission, so check that out. Go to kpdq.com, enter the keyword community to join or to log in, and you can find out more at kpdq.com or on KPDQ's mobile app. And we are continuing with our effort to provide you with some great discounts on school tuition. Let me tell you what's still available. We have a tuition discount for Northwest Heritage Academy, for Western Mennonite School, for West Hills Christian School, Valor Christian, and North Clackamas uh, Christian School as well. So go to KPDQ and find out more about how we can make education more affordable at these fine Christian schools. Uh, KPDQ listeners can save up to 40% on Christian school tuition at listenersavings.com. So check it out. Uh, Some great opportunities for you uh, to save online. Taking a look at tomorrow's program, we're going to talk with Joshua Chatra. He's the author of Apologetics at the Cross. It's an introduction for Christian witness. How do you share your faith? How do you live in such a way that it's compelling to people who are, are looking on? And we're going to talk with Joshua Chatra about how we can do that to, with his book, Apologetics at the Cross, an introduction for Christian witness. So uh, looking forward uh, to that. Uh, one other thing I forgot to mention is uh, KPDQ is also sponsoring a concert with Stephen Curtis Chapman. That's coming up Thursday, April 26. So the day is approaching. It's an amazing evening with one of Christian music's most enduring artists. Stephen Curtis Chapman, and we invite you to an evening with a man, his guitar, and his stories. He's going to talk. He's going to sing. We're going to have a great evening. He's going to take you to the very heart of the stories behind his biggest hits, and even if you've seen him in concert before, you've never seen him quite like this. So make plans to join us. Stephen Curtis Chapman, solo at East Hill Church in Gresham. That's 7 o'clock p.m., April the 26th. Tickets are available now at, you guessed it, kpdq.com. And finally, we have a European Reformation tour with Alistair Begg. What a tremendous um, opportunity this is. I had the uh, the chance to uh, follow the footsteps of the apostles with Alistair Begg, uh, I guess it was two years ago, and uh, he's a tremendous Bible teacher. He's a great person to travel with. He's approachable. We just had a great time, and when he opens God's Word, it it just made this, the sights and the scenes that you enjoyed together come to life and put them in their broader context, their historic context. Uh, context. Well, this summer, Truth for Life's Alistair Begg invites you to join him and other believers on a two-week tour of Central Europe to visit many historic sites made famous by the Reformation. And once again, you can find out more at kpdq.com and book your ticket. You can also call 855-565-5519. Okay, we are out of time. I want to thank Clark Hilton for engineering today's program, James Blend for producing, and thank you for making The Georgine Rice Show part of your day. Have a great night.
0: Thanks for listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast.